Very interesting stuff tonight on the Deep Dive Bible Study. I'm so glad that you are here. It is uh, part three of the Deep Dive, Kings of Compromise Studies. We go through the books of First and Second Kings. I know that these books can be confusing, and that's why I'm here to help you learn how to read Scripture. We're going to look at some characters of some interesting different types. And I think we can see ourselves in the text today, but we're also going to look at a picture of what we are in 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 the world right now, what we're experiencing right now in the world, and and how this ancient text shows us how to live. It's it's an amazing moment. First Kings chapter 2. Let's do it. Kings of Compromise. All righty, all righty, all righty. The only thing that I ask, of course, on the channel is a simple, if you would, do me a solid, of liking, sharing, or subscribing, or some combination of all three. My name is Tim, and I'm bringing you this content to help you grow in God's Word, develop into the person He wants you to be, and to learn, most importantly, how to read this incredible book. It will change your life. Let's pray. God, speak to us. We thank you for the chance to do this, even through digital technology. We pray Help my words to be what, the, what you want them to be, and may we hear you and see you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so it's been a while since we've been together on the deep dive. Sorry about that. There was a hurricane here, and then we had, um, we always take the first week of the month off, but there, you know, we'll always get to it. We'll always get to the text. I know a lot of you love the Bible study on the channel, and I do too, and I'm so glad to be able to do it for you. Little recap of 1 Kings chapter 1 because it's been so long. Remember, it opens up with David is old. He can't keep warm. Uh, he can't even take care of himself physically. They decide that they're going to get this young hottie named Abishag, the Shunammite, remember that name for today, in to basically help him stay warm. He doesn't sleep with her, but he is his concubine, his living concubine, whatever, his warm blankie, if you will. Adonijah, the um, oldest natural-born son of David, left, wants to, wants to assume the kingdom. He tries to assume the kingdom. He goes for it. He surrounds himself with 50 men. He marches in through the city, blows trumpets, makes a big hubba-baloo. And then Nathan and Bathsheba go to work, and it's a beautiful moment where you see Bathsheba, this woman who is known for fornicating with David from uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, sorry, 2 Kings chapter 11, and now her name is sort of redeemed, but hold that thought, hold that thought, because things are not done when it comes to Bathsheba just yet. We're going to learn a little bit more about Bathsheba today. And then finally, Solomon is coronated king. Um... David and Na listens to Nathan and uh, Bathsheba. He calls together his men, Zadok and Nathan and Benaiah. Remember that name. Uh, they work together to solidify Solomon's place in the kingdom. So now Solomon is on the throne, okay? But you've got some remnants of some characters who are not going to be with it. Okay, and this is a picture for you. Let me tell you why this is a picture for you. You think, what does this have to do with me? I'll tell you right now. We believe that there is a true son of David who has been coronated king. His name is Jesus Christ. Solomon is a picture here of what will be the rule and leadership of our true son of David, okay? And 
when David, or I'm sorry, when Jesus is established as king in the world, which he has been established as king, he took the keys of hell and death from Satan. He won our victory at the cross. It was his victory first, but our victory. He um, told the disciples in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples. He is king. He is in charge. He is ruling and reigning in the universe. But, and here's why this applies to us, not everybody is going to be okay with that. And under the auspices of King Jesus, okay, until, until his kingdom is fully realized, there's going to be a bunch of people we're going to run into. And their names are in chapter two of first Kings. Now their names in our day are different names. Okay. But the character of these names remains the same. Now, this is not an exhaustive study of all the people we're going to run into who don't like Jesus being king, but I believe what it does is it exposes to us some of the threats that we will face as Christians in a world that does not serve or worship our Christ, does not understand our allegiance to him, probably would have, uh, would have appreciated the world before Christ more because it was better for them, it was more about them, it was more self-serving, and so... What happens in 1 Kings chapter 2 shows us that this that we experience today, where people are against God, they don't want to be a part of his kingdom, they, they even fight for their own kingdom, and all this, nothing new. This was patterned for us in Holy Scripture. So with that in mind, let's go to the text in our first segment of the show, Through the Text. Okay, when it comes to the show, three segments, Through the Text, uh, talk about it, tap into truth. We go verse by verse through the text. Let's take a look-see here. I have actually today on the screen the, the text. So here's what it says. When David's time uh, came, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I'm about, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep charge, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his statutes and keeping his, well, I'm sorry, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their, to the way, so, sorry, to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Okay, let's talk about this right off the bat. David is doing what good kings do. He is saying, look, this is the law. God gave it to Moses and he's given it to me. Uh, by the way, if we turn back the clock on Israel's history, we go all the way back, check this out, go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. You're going to see something here that's very important concerning Israel's kings. And actually the whole text is called concerning Israel's kings. This is Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 17. It says, when you come into the land, the Lord your God is giving you to possess it and dwell it and, and, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. By the way, this is written way before they ever did that. And they did that later on in their history. God is prophesying here about Israel. He says, you may indeed set a king over you. And then look at what it says, whom the Lord... The Lord your God will choose one from among your brothers. You shall set his king over you. By the way, hot tip. That's why there is a rule in our constitution in the United States that only native-born Americans can run for president. Interesting little 
historical fact there, but let's move on. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said, you shall never return that way again. He shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Now look at those laws right there. No horses, no going back to Egypt, no wives, like many wives, and no excessive gold. By the way, Solomon is going to break every single one of those rules. We'll get to that in the future uh, episode. But then verse 18, and when he sits on the throne of the kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest, and he shall, I'm sorry, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all his words, all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom and his children in Israel. What does he got to do? Not just avoid, he's got to write down. He's got to actually take a pen or, I don't know, a quill back in those days and literally transcribe the scriptures for himself, write out a copy of the Bible for, him, for himself. This was God's rule in Deuteronomy 17 for Israel's kings, for Israel's kings. Remember, that's about the kings of Israel. So that's what kings should have been doing, walking in the way of the Lord. And that's exactly what David admonishes Solomon to do. Keep his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as is written. So Solomon, this is where your prosperity comes from. This is where your future lies. This is where your health this is where your prosperity lies. This is where your security lies. In knowing what is in this book, you got to write this down. You got to keep it in your hands. You got to keep it in your heart. You got to make sure that the word of God comes first. How about you? Does the word of God come first? Because the scripture says we are royal priesthoods. We are a royal priesthood. That means that we are royalty in God's economy. And that means we are kings on this earth, ruling and reigning with Christ spiritually in the already not yet kingdom of God. But we've got a responsibility and we have got to rule wisely. How do we rule our lives, our families, our, our homes wisely? By making sure that we are um, engaging with the biblical text as much as possible. Do you set a time in your life that you spend in your, in your day where you spend time with God in his word? Do you spend time in his word with other Christians? Do you spend time in his word with uh, you know, this podcast, thank you for listening or watching whatever you're doing, but you want to rule and reign rightly. It all hinges on the word of God. The word of God will prosper you, bless you, protect you, uh, advance you on and on and on. The promises go. So Solomon, this is how it works. This is how you're going to succeed. Walk in the ways of the Lord, and then your sons need to pay attention, okay? And that's, that's why men have to pay attention to God's word because their sons will pay attention to how they live. Uh, fathers who are listening to me in church today, I say this with great um, concern for you, but what are you showing your sons? Are you showing your sons that football is king in the home? Are you showing your sons that golf is king in the home? Are you showing your sons that your cars or whatever, your house, the size of your house, king in your life. Be careful. Your sons are watching. Your children are watching. And it's a very provenable fact, proven fact over and over again, that what is in the heart of the father in a home ends up in the hearts of the children of that home. I've seen this play out countless times in my ministry as a pastor of a church, but I also see it in my own life. And I've seen it 
I'm sorry, I'm also the result of that. My father had a heart for the Lord, and I watched him serve the church and serve as a treasury, treasurer, deacon in his church, and I would watch him write checks for the church and pay bills for the church, and then I'd, write, I'd watch him, and I watched him do this. I watched him write a tithe check. When I was a young boy, I'd be eating dinner, he'd get home late, and he would sit down and open the checkbook, and he would write the tithe check out to the church, and I was always amazed to see my father faithfully serving the church. I'm a result of that. I am absolutely humbled and graciously blessed to have parents who serve the Lord. But that's what's going to happen in your life. You may not have come from a, a, a spiritual house like that. You may have come from a, an atheist home, a, an agnostic home, a, a very disreputable home. It doesn't matter. You can start turning the tide through the power of the Holy Spirit in you to change what happens beyond you. Your children are watching you, dads, and so is God. And that's exactly the last, one of the last things that David says to Solomon. Now look <laughs> what happens in the next verse because it's about to get cray-cray. Okay, guys, look at the very next verse. Moreover, verse 5, you shall, you also know, sorry, what Joab the son of Zariah did to me. Who's Joab? Joab is David's right-hand man, his commander of his, the commander of his armies. How he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, who are those guys? Abner the son of Ner. And Abner was uh, uh, King Saul's commander. And Amasa, the son of Jether, and Amasa was the commander under Absalom during Absalom's rebellion. How he killed, whom he killed, avenging, notice that word avenging, in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war. And putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom. There's a little hint there of what Solomon's kingdom is going to be about. But do not, and look at this line here, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace, but deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for with such loyalty they met me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Okay, we're going to stop there for a second. Because we've got to identify this character named Absalom, um, <laughs> this character named Joab. So David just gets done saying, follow the Lord, serve his purposes, do not depart from his commandments. Oh, by the way, need you to kill some people. <laughs> first up, first up, Joab. And let's identify this character named Joab. What David says about Joab is very important back to the Bible camp here. It says, he uh, killed Abner and Amasa in time of peace and he, for blood, okay, for blood that had been shed in time of war. So there's, there's a time to kill right here in this text. There is a time to kill biblically and, it, and then there's not, okay? There is a case to be made from the Bible where killing is not murder when killing is an act of war to fight for Peace. If we did not kill Nazis in World War II, this world would be terrible right now. So I get it, pacifists. You don't want to pick up arms and fight. You don't have to. Thank, thank God we are at that place right now in our country. But the Bible is very clear that there are two kinds of there are two kinds of killing. There is justifiable killing in the act of war where you are committing a greater, um, sorry, a greater, a lesser evil. Okay, because murder's killing, terrible, for the greater good. 
But then there are times of peace where murder is murder. Okay, so what, what Joab did, by the way, was he didn't just murder. He took out the, the people that he had held grudges against. The first one is Abner. Abner was Saul's cousin. He was uh, the commander who defected to David after Saul died. And Ishbosheth, actually, he actually made Ishbosheth Saul's son, king, in place of Saul. There was a civil war between David and Ishbosheth because everybody knew David was the king, but Ishbosheth was the, was the natural born son of Saul. Abner puts Ishbosheth in place. Now, there could be a case made that, and we studied this in the life of David two seasons ago, that Abner was really just kind of using Ishbosheth as a puppet regime. He wanted to have the kingdom himself. So what he does is he goes and he starts to fight over this concubine that Ishbosheth had, and Ishbosheth says no, and then Abner defects and says, look, look at all I've done for you. That's it. I'm done with you. I'm going over to David. And he defects to David, and then he wants to promote David's kingdom and make David great and, and glorify David, and David accepts him and forgives Abner. This is an amazing moment. Abner and David have this long history. After David kills Goliath, it's Abner who tells Saul who he is and brings David to Saul. Abner is at the table when David is absent at Saul's table. Abner and David have been going back and forth for a long time, but now Abner repents. He comes to David. He surrenders his life to David's kingdom. And then what happens is during the civil war, Abner, uh, sorry, Joab and his brother pursue Abner and the, the brother of Joab's name is Ashahel. <laughs> and Ashahel runs after Abner and Abner says, look, don't, don't kill me. This is a time of peace. Basically, he says, don't, don't chase me. This is not going to end well for you. I'm a warrior. I'm older than you. I know how this is done. Ashahel doesn't listen. Joab does. He stops. Ashahel pursues Abner and tries to kill him. And in self-defense, Abner kills Joab's brother. But it was self-defense. And it was in the time of war. And Joab doesn't let it go. Even after David had restored Abner and brought him into the kingdom and Abner was pro-David. And, pro and by the way, Joab is David's nephew, okay? So Joab has got this score to settle with Abner and he does. And he does this little maneuver where he tricks Abner and he kills him in time of peace, uh, pretending to be kind to him. He does it a second time to a guy named Amasa. Amasa now, the reason why Joab kills Amasa is also another personal vendetta. Amasa was Absalom's commander when Absalom rebelled against David. And so Amasa, uh, Absalom replaces Joab with Amasa as his right-hand man. Joab must have hated that. He must have held on to that hurt, held on to that, you know, that slight. And so when he gets a chance after Absalom's rebellion in time of peace, he pretends to kiss Amasa. And he stabs him in the belly. And it's just gross. The Bible's filled with all these kind of scenes. But nonetheless, what you have to see in Joab is what you see today in the world. People who are never, ever able to move on. They're never able to let things go. Let things slide. Forgive. Accept people who were your enemies. This is a guy who was keeping score. Can I tell you as, as clear as possible, it is not your job to keep scores in your life. The scripture actually says, never avenge yourself. Leave room for the Lord. He will bring to justice all that is wrong. And there's a lot of people in the world right now, they hate God 
or reject the kingdom of God because they just have so many personal scores, so many hangups and hurts, so many people hurt them, so many people wronged them, so many people treated them unfairly, and therefore they're not interested in the kingdom of God. They have a lot of pain in their life, and God is somewhat to blame because he allowed it to happen, and they're going to fight for their their own justice. They're going to put justice in their own hands. These are the Batman fans. These are the John Wick fans. Okay. You shot my dog. I'm going to shoot everybody in this world. Okay. These are the people who will never let grievances go. Is that you? Is that someone that you know? Are, are you the kind of person that says, I, I just can't, I can't forgive them for what they did to me. Okay. Okay. Look, we're going to get to why. If you're in the kingdom of David, if you're in the kingdom of the true son of David, Jesus Christ, that cannot be you. That cannot, absolutely cannot be you. But that's Joab. That's the first character that we're introduced to in the text. And David says, make sure you execute justice uh, for what he did. The next guy that is introduced in the text to us is Barzillai, verse 7. Uh, it says, but deal loyally, whoops, I'm, I'm in the wrong page, but deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table for which such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. Okay, so now this is a different guy that David mentions, and he's a different character. Barzillai uh, funded David with provisions, food, and shelter when he fled from Absalom during Absalom's coup. Absalom was the son of David who killed Amnon, and then took over the kingdom, slept with David's concubines, really shamed David, a horrible, horrible moment. So David has to flee. He runs out of the city, and there's a guy that takes care of him. His name is Barzillai, and this says he's a Gileadite. And, and he says, uh, here's your food, here's provisions, I'll take care of you. And then when David is restored and Absalom is murdered, and then David is restored to the kingdom, it is Barzillai that David says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reward you for this. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a seat at my table. You're going to eat with me every day. And this was a tremendous honor. This was the honor of honors in the ancient world. And Barzillai does something amazing. He says, and this is in 2 Samuel chapter 19. He says, look, I'm an old man. Uh, I can't even taste food anymore. And he says, give this rather to your servant Chim Chim uh, Chimham. That's the guy's name. I don't know who Chimham is. He might have been a, uh, a servant of Barzillai. He might have been a son of Barzillai. I don't know. But he said, look, take care of him instead of me. What you would have given me, give to him. Because I can't, I can't appreciate it the way that he can. And Barzillai, this is, this is another character under the auspices of the kingdom of Jesus. Barzillai is the guy who uses what God gives him to bless others. This is a guy who says, it's not about me. And I don't need all these things. I'm well taken care of. God has provided. So now let me see how I can use the resources God has given me to bless the kingdom, uh, to bless other people in the kingdom of David, or in our case, in the kingdom of Jesus. Are you a Brazili? See, this is a good guy in this text, okay? This is a good guy we meet in the kingdom. By the way, these people are all over the New Testament. These people are all over the New Testament. Cornelius is a guy like this. The uh, Roman centurion that Jesus meets and heals his servant. Remember, the Bible says that he had built the synagogue for the Jews uh, in that town. This is um, Lydia who opens a church in her home, okay? This is Priscilla and Aquila. This is Bara uh, Barabbas. <laughs> Totally wrong character. This is Barnabas, the guy who was a Levite and sold land 
Because the law says that Levites shouldn't have owned land. He sold a plot of land and he gave the money to the apostles, laid it at their feet and said, give it to the poor. These people are all over the kingdom. These are the people that tithe and give and serve and never stop. And we need these people because they literally make the kingdom function financially. There is a financial cost to church. There is a financial cost to the kingdom. God has ordained that the people who have been changed by Jesus fund the ministry of Jesus so that it goes beyond them, right? So this is a this is a guy we will often find in the kingdom and thank God for the Barzillais in the church. Amen. Let's go on. There is also with you, verse 8, Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Barabahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. Okay, again, now this is another bad dude in the kingdom of David. Shimei is a Benjaminite. He, is a fo- he was a loyal follower of King Saul, who preceded David and whose kingdom was replaced by David. When And he held on to the old guard. He didn't want David to be king. He wanted Saul's king. He he stood to prosper under Saul's kingdom. When David is running from his his son Absalom, it is Shimei who curses David. And we've talked about this in the Life of David study from two years ago. But anyway, and I remember this story. It's a beautiful story because it shows the character of David. Because uh, Joab says, do you want me to go kill this guy because he's cursing you? And, And David says, or not Joab, I'm sorry. It was a different commander because Joab stayed with Absalom. Uh, so David says, no, perhaps the Lord told him to curse me. I don't know. I, maybe I'm deserving this. Maybe I need this to happen because I'm being judged or disciplined by the Lord. So David goes into exile. Then he returns. And who's there greeting David at the, at the Jordan as soon as he's back in town? But Shimei. Shimei is the opportunist. Shimei is the guy who says, okay, who's in charge? Who's got the power? I'm with that guy. Oh, Absalom's got the power. Curse you, David. Oh, David's back in town. Oh, I love you, David. And these are opportunists. These are people who only serve, (laughs) they'll serve whoever is strongest. So when persecution comes for the faith, they will crater. When the culture says it's not cool anymore to be Christian, it's not cool to hold these values, we will reject you, they will reject their values to be accepted by people. These people are all over the kingdom. Shimei is everywhere. If Jesus ain't cool, they're, cur- they're cool with cursing Jesus. If Jesus is cool, they're cool with loving Jesus. They will always just follow whoever is strongest. That is who Shimei is. And there's all kinds of Shimei's throughout the Bible. So, so David ends his message to Solomon with kill Joab, show kindness to uh, Barzillai, and then kill Shimei. <laughs> And then look at the very next verse. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron, 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Let's stop there. The reason why we're going to stop there is because uh, though Solomon is on the throne, and yes, the kingdom is, is firmly established, these people are still alive. And this is why some people get so confused by church. I'm going to tell you that you have got to exp- you have got to expect some bad characters in the church under the auspices of the kingdom of our true Son of David, Jesus Christ. There's going to be Brazilians, good people. There's going to be Shimeis. These are waffling people, 
and there's going to be Joabs. These are the bitter, vengeful people. And, and there's a whole other group. I mean, there's mon- a bunch of different groups of people. But this is just providing us a picture. It's a picture of what it looks like to be in the church under the, the reign of Jesus Christ. So now let's turn the page and let's continue the, the story in verse 13 because <laughs> we're going to be introduced to another character who we already met in chapter 1 of 1 Kings. Remember Adonijah who sought the kingdom as soon as he possibly could the opportunist he's back let's take a look at it verse 13 then adonijah the son of haggith came to bathsheba the mother of solomon and she said do you come peacefully and he said peacefully then he said i have something to say to you and she said speak he said you know that the kingdom was mine look at how he talks by the way (laughs) you know that the kingdom was mine and that all israel fully expected me to reign okay first off that's not true and who knows that more than anybody bathsheba Okay, he's going to Bathsheba. Remember, Bathsheba, mother of Solomon. And now Bathsheba's queen mother. Bathsheba's the one that Nathan spoke to, okay, back in chapter one. Nathan said to Bathsheba, verse 11, okay. And so he's going to this girl. Oh, this this is the way that I kind of get what I want, just like Nathan did it before. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to use Bathsheba. So I get the king's ear when I get in Bathsheba's ear. That's literally what Adonijah thinks. Okay, these are, uh, this is another character in the kingdom of Jesus. So he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. Everybody expected me to be king. However, the kingdom was turned about and became uh, and become my brothers. Has turned about and become my brothers. For it was from the Lord. Now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. Look at how <laughs> this guy is totally about himself. She said to him, please. She said, she, said, she said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you. There it is again, right there. To give me Abishag the Shunammite, as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak to you for the king. Okay, remember who Abishag is? This is the young, beautiful girl from chapter one that they brought to King David to be his final concubine to keep him warm and basically sleep with him, but he didn't sleep with her. Do you understand what Adonijah is doing here? He's making another play for the kingdom. When, when Absalom rebelled against David, he slept with David's concubines on the roof to symbolize I'm now in charge. Back to the story about Abner with Ishbosheth. He wanted Ishbosheth's concubine to say, "I'm going to take your kingdom." So this is a power play. This is a this is a move for power. And he thinks he thinks naturally thinks, "Oh, this is how you get David's attention. You go through his mom Bathsheba. I'm sorry, his wife Bathsheba. I'm sorry. This is how you get Solomon's attention. You go through his mom Bathsheba, and she'll get you what you want." So who is who is Adonijah? Adonijah is the opportunist, self-centered, either Christian or non-Christian. This is the person who will do whatever it takes to get what they want. They will use people. They will play the game. They don't have a heart for the kingdom of Jesus. They have a heart for their own kingdom. And even when they pretend to be faithful, because remember that Adonijah bowed and paid homage to Solomon at the end of chapter 1. Now he's making a play for the kingdom again, but he's trying to do it in a, in a very covert way that is kind of undermining Solomon's kingdom um, subversively. And what's amazing about Bathsheba, she's another character that we get introduced to in this chapter because I, we, last episode, we were talking this girl up. We were saying, man, Bathsheba, look at her. Don't define her by her past. Define her by what God has, how God has used her in her future. Let's give her some cred for the things that she did that were right. But unfortunately, 
Look at what she does in the case of Adonijah. It says, So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah, and the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. This is a very, this is all a lot of pomp and circumstance to show you that, that, that Solomon really appreciates and loves Bathsheba. He knows that he's king because of Bathsheba's interaction with David. He knows, and by the way, this is his mom. So he knows that he got, he's got to honor this woman. And then she said, I have one small request to make of you. By the way, she's totally fooled. This is not a small request. This is a big request. To ask for King David, uh, David's concubine, is a huge power play move. She says, do not refuse me. Oh my word, Bathsheba, what are you doing? And the king said to her, make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. I mean, this guy, Solomon, loves his mother. She said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. Bam! <laughs> this is going to be huge because King Solomon knows right away that this is filled with self-serving interest on the part of Adonijah. Secondly, King Solomon is a wise man. It's, he's already been mentioned as wise by King David. Yes, God supernaturally charged his wisdom, but I believe he also had just some natural born wisdom. I think, and this is not in the text, so I'm just reading into it, but permit me some leniency here. I think that what he saw was his mom knew that Abishag was the final lover of her husband, David, and she might have thought, yeah, let's get her out of the picture of being associated with my husband and let's get him, let's get her a new husband. Like it's kind of gross too, because it's David's son. But nonetheless, I think there's ulterior motives for, for, for Bathsheba. Um, but here's where, what, here's the character point that I want to lean in here with Bathsheba. These are the people who are easily swayed by whoever they're talking to. When, when Bathsheba is talking to Nathan, she is, um, uh, bold. She is strong. She is wise. She speaks with authority. She gets David's attention. It's this beautiful moment. But the moment that she hangs out with Adonijah for even a second, she's all about Adonijah. And then she goes to Solomon and she starts to make demands of Solomon on behalf of Adonijah. The man that she just fought to have the kingdom given to, she's kind of like fighting against him now with his enemy, his number one chief rival. Man, there's a lot of people like this under the kingdom of, of, of Jesus, under the auspices of the, of, the, of the kingdom of Jesus, both saved and unsaved, the people who are easily swayed. And it's just a matter of who did they talk to last? Who did they hear from last? They, they, they don't have these firm convictions. They, they, don't, um, they don't stand for righteousness because they're too busy hanging with unrighteous characters. Is that you? Are you so devoid of convictions about what is true and right, about who is king, that it just takes a few moments with unbelievers or a few moments with false believers and you, you are off the rails, off the reservation with regards to the kingdom of Jesus? Are you easily swayed? And I'll tell you, the people who are easily swayed are the people who don't know this book. The people who don't read, study, and grow in Christ will be easily swayed by whoever they talk to last. Let's take a look at King Solomon's response. King Solomon answered his mother, And why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask him for the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. And on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore to the Lord, saying, God do, to me, uh, God do so to me, and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. 
Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. Like this, Solomon makes quick work of Adonijah. You almost get the hint of Satan being cast from heaven. What did Satan do in heaven? We get that from Isaiah chapter 14. He said, I will ascend to the throne of the Most High. I will be like the Most High. I will be as God. I will rule. I, me, 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 me. That's Adonijah's character. That's Satan. That's Luth, Lucifer's character. By the way, that is a Satanic desire. Me, 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 me is a Satanic desire. A lot of the people in this world, that's all they care about. Me, 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 me. My attention, my glory, my fame. That is not just pride. It's Satanic. It's Luciferian. It, and by the way, it costs you quickly. Pride comes before a fall. Understand what happens. Adonijah is dead before the day is over. And Benaiah is the guy who slays him. And that's another hero of David's kingdom. But none, nonetheless, let's continue in the text here. And to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth to your estate. For you deserve death. Abiathar was the priest who supported Adonijah, if you remember. So now Absalom is cleaning up the, the mess here. You deserve death, but I will not at this time put you to death because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David, my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. Uh, so Solomon expelled Abiathar from being a priest before the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. Now, this is an amazing text here because what it is telling us is that there was a promise made through uh, the prophet, I believe it was... Uh, Samuel, yeah, I think, don't quote me, that Eli's house, Eli was the priest of God coming out of the judges, so that you have the judges, this horrible, terrible season of Israel's history. The final priest in that line was Eli. His two sons were evil. He never corrected them. They were sleeping with women in the temple. They were eating the fat portions of the offerings. They were taking the best for themselves and throwing away the rest. They were, they were rebellious and wicked in the eyes of the Lord. God put them to death. And then God made a promise through Samuel that the entire line of Eli would finally would, would no longer be priests eventually. This happened. So, so here we are at the final fulfillment of that because Abiathar was in that lineage 200 years later. And I only bring that up to say this. God is always keeping track. He is always watching. He is always aware of what is going on. Please understand that God does not ignore unrighteousness. God does not ignore a self-centeredness. God does not ignore when people take advantage of his kindness and reject him and disrespect him. The time is coming. He, 200 years later, I mean, this is, this is a promise from the time of judges. And here God is finally bringing it to pass. Some of us in our lives, we get so upset when we see people who don't honor God being given grace, mercy, or time to repent. And we just don't get it. We just don't understand it. And a lot of people can suffer even under the people's influence who don't repent because they're wicked, evil rulers. And we think, why does God allow it? Trust me, he is giving them a chance to repent. His patience is way greater than yours or mine. But if they don't repent, there's coming a judge. There's a judgment. There's coming a moment where they will pay. And that's exactly what happens here to uh, Abiathar, the priest, in 1 Kings chapter 2. Verse 28, when the news came to Joab and Joab supported, for Joab had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord, caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord and behold, he is beside the altar. Joab sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. So Benaniah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, the king commands, come out. But he said, I will die here. Then Benaniah sought the king's word again. Now this is because Benaniah is like, I don't want to kill anybody in the temple. 
So he like kind of like cell phones over to Solomon. He's like, thus Joab said, and he answered me. And the king replied to him, do as he has said, strike him down, bury him. And thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood of Joab that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself, Abner the son of Ner, Amasa the son of Jether. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of the descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab and Zadok, the priest, in place of Abiathar. So what is happening here is Solomon is cleaning house. Solomon is cleaning house. He is taking care of all the people who are uh, living under the reign of the son of David, but don't have a heart for David and those who uh, sought their own glory, were opportunists, put themselves first. Uh, first is Adonijah, dead. Joab, dead. There's one more left. Remember, we mentioned this guy before. His name is who? Shimei. Verse 36. Then the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go out from there to any place whatever. In other words, you're under house arrest. I know who you are. I understand your character. You're an opportunist. You will side whoever with whoever is strongest. Um, and that's not cool. And I know how you treated my dad. And so he says, for on the day that you go out, and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain that you shall die. Your blood shall be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, what you say is good. As my lord, the king has said, so will your servant do. And Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But Shimei, again, <laughs> this guy's got a serious problem. <laughs> Shimei is the classic lukewarm Christian. He listens to God some days and doesn't on others, right? He will say one thing and do another. Jesus shared this parable to the, to the Pharisees when they complained about the tax collectors and prostitutes coming and uh, repenting. And he says, I got a story for you. This guy had two sons. The first son, he said, go work in my uh, vineyard. The son said, I will, and he didn't. But he said to the second son, go work in my vineyard. The son said, I won't, and he did. He said, which one of them did what the father wants? And they, the Pharisees like, the one who actually did it. He's like, yeah, and that's why the prostitutes and the tax collectors are getting into the kingdom of heaven before you. Like, I don't care what you say. I care what you do. Look at what happens with Shimei. It says, but it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, son of Mecca, king of Gath. That's his Philistine territory. And when it was told Shimei, behold, your servants are in Gath. Shimei arose, saddled the donkey, went to Gath to Achish to seek his servants. Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. Okay, so now Shimei is totally ignoring the law that Solomon placed him under to keep his life. But more importantly, he's fleeing to Gath. He's fleeing to uh, Philistine territory. Why? And the answer is very simple. Because he's thinking, maybe, maybe the power lies with them. And he's chasing his servants. You know, and, and, and the question is, why are his servants running to the Philistines? The Philistines are not good people. And I think it's only because Shimei was worse. Shimei was a worse person. And so there, his servants go and like, we're out of here. They go to Philistine territory. And he's like, well, I'm going to go get them and bring them back. And he does. And he ignores what Solomon said. And he repudiates the promise that he made to Solomon to stay in his own house. So here's what happens. When Solomon was told that Shimei had gone to, from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, did I not make you swear by the Lord solemnly and solemnly warn you, saying, know for certain that on the day you go out, 
to any place, whatever you shall die. And you said to me, what you say is good, I will obey. Why then have you not kept your oath to the Lord and the commandment with which I commanded you? The king also said to Shimei, you know in your own heart all the harm that you did to David my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. Then the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Boom, end of the chapter. And we're cooking with gas now. We'll be in chapter three next week. But this is a beautiful, uh, this is a beautiful, this is a very dark chapter. <laughs> I always said beautiful. This is a very dark chapter. And you have to understand that this is how the world works. <laughs> we have this Christianized view, this rose-colored view of the world. And we've got to stop because the world is dark. It's evil. Look, you've got Vladimir Putin killing innocents in Ukraine. Why? Because he's a bloodthirsty monster. You've got a corrupt uh, leader in Ukraine who we're for some reason supporting. You've got people uh, transing the kids right now. You've got uh, chaos in the streets. You've got police being viciously attacked and demonized. This is, the, this is the world as it has always been, dark. And the, and the world will always have darkness until the true son of David has his kingdom firmly and finally established. And to get there, and I think you've got to get this, to get there, justice has to be done. We're not going to get the fullness of the kingdom at the return of Christ without justice. That's why Revelation is so dark, so bloody. It's, it's a blood-soaked book because it's, it's bringing the justice of God, the wrath of God to bear on the earth once and for all, and there will finally and permanently be peace. Remember Solomon's name means peaceable one. So the son of David will bring final peace and the kingdom will be his. Let me put this verse on the screen just one last time because I want you to see something in the text here. It says, the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Notice it does not say that Solomon's kingdom was established. It's not Solomon's kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And it's in Solomon's hands for now. And things will go poorly from here. <laughs> well, they'll get better for a little while, and then it'll go poorly later on in the book of 1 Kings. Because the kingdom is not Solomon's. The kingdom is Jesus's. Jesus is the true son of David who will finally and fully bring peace to the earth and will expose. And that's exactly what you have to see in this chapter. You have to see it. He exposes um, Shimei. He exposes Joab. He exposes Adonijah. He exposes the weaknesses of Bathsheba's character. And he rewards Barzillai. My point is, God will execute perfect justice through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has appointed heir of all things, Lord of all lords, and king of all kings. And that brings me to the talk about a section. Okay, talk about it. Let's take a look at what the points we're going to make to close out or kind of understand this text. Number one, David remembers the law and the lives of those in his kingdom. He's, he's, he tells Solomon, look, obey the law. And then I want you to be aware of what's happening in the world. I want you to be aware about the reality of what's going on in the kingdom. And you need to keep mindful of this. You need to keep mindful of all these characters. And as we've already talked about, he kept accurate records. He called for appropriate justice. That's what Jesus is going to do at the end of days. He is doing it now. Many times we don't see it as clearly as we should, but I believe that, that Jesus executes judgment through the governments of the earth. Hitler received justice, right? Um, 
uh, Noriega <laughs> received justice. Pol Pot received justice. It was bloody. It was violent. It was vicious. And these are small little victories on the way to eternal peace to which we are all headed under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But it's not going to be pretty. And so this chapter is a picture for us that just because it looks like people are getting away with evil right now does not mean they're getting away with evil permanently. Jesus will execute justice. Brings me to another point. The players in Solomon's kingdom, Joab, Shimei, Adonijah, Bathsheba, Brazili. Which one are you? Okay, Joab, the opportunist. Sorry, I'm sorry. Joab, the bitter, sorry, the bitter, vengeful killer. Shimei, the, um, the guy who says yes and then doesn't live it. <laughs> Only committed to David when it was expedient to save his life. There's a lot of people like that in the church. They only serve God surfacely. They show up to church. They don't know the Lord. They like the benefits of the Lord, but they don't know the Lord. They want him to fix their marriage. They want him to raise their kids to be healthy, strong, and moral. They want money. They want blessing and prosperity, but they don't want the Lord. The moment persecution strikes, like I said before, they are out the door. Or the Adonijahs, these are the people who are hungry for their own glory and fame. They, they do not want to submit. They do not want to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ because they are living for themselves. Uh, or there's the Bathshebas of the world, and these are the people who are easily swayed by whoever they talk to last. And then there's the Brazilis. Brazilis are the people who use what God gives them to bless others. Which one are you? Please remember, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one so that each one may receive what is due him for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's going to be a just judgment day, both for Christians and non-Christians. There's going to be a final judgment executed by the true and righteous judge who sees everything, knows everything, and will reward or judge everything. So back to the players in Solomon's kingdom. to give you a bitter, bitter picture. The Joab, again, the bitter vengeance addict. Is that you? Keeping scores, trying to always get back at people, never forgiving. I think that the Lord has a word for you, and the Lord's word for you is from Matthew chapter, um, sorry, is from Ephesians chapter 432. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You can't be in the kingdom of Jesus and keeping scores. You can't do it. Your score was settled through the cost of Jesus Christ's blood. Your score, the, the score God had to settle with you, he bore it on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. Or are you a Shimei, the surface repenter? Again, only showing remorse when things go poorly. To you, I believe 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 is true. Uh, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Worldly Grief produces death. There is a difference between true repentance and surface repentance. There is a difference between you hate your sin, you hate the sinfulness in your flesh, you want it put to death, God change me, or surface repentance, which is, God, I messed up, fix it. God, I made a mess of my life, fix it, okay? True repentance says, my biggest problem is me. My biggest problem is my heart. God change me. God make me new. Bathsheba, uh, sorry, Adonijah, 
This is the slighted opportunist seeking his own glory and fame. To you, the Philippians 2 chapter uh, passage, verse 3 and 4 is so appropriate. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Bathsheba, the easily swayed, depending on who you talk to last. Ephesians 5, let no one deceive you with empty words. This is verse 6. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Watch who you're hanging around with if you're that kind of person. If you're a Bathsheba and you have good days and bad days, depending on who you hang out with, well, then mark mark who you're hanging out with. (laughs) Get around people who encourage you in the Lord. Or are you a Brazilite and thank God for these people, the faithful steward who uses his gifts and abilities to bless and empower others? This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve another as stewards of God's varied grace. And most importantly, we have to understand that the most important thing we can do is to love one another as God's people. That's what Barzillais do. They serve, their, they serve the kingdom of Jesus by making room for others at the king's table and not serving themselves and not being easily swayed and not being a surface repenter, right? And not being a bitter clinger, bitterly clinging to their hurts and hangups, but knowing that Christ has forgiven them. So they live in the joy of that grace and they share it with others. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's tap into truth and close this out. I just want to encourage you with one final word here, guys, and that is that God has set his perfect, holy, and just king on the throne, and he, that is Jesus, will administer true and final justice. You do not have to worry, friend, about what you see in the world. Don't understand, understand it, but don't get worked up by it. Know what is it, what it is. Guard your family, guard your children, guard your life, guard your spirit, guard, guard your heart. Don't let it get in you, but understand that the Lord is... He's in charge. He's on the throne. And he is going to administer true and final justice. It's coming. It's coming to the world. Uh, Psalm 7, verse 11. If you're angry, just know that God is more angry. That's not what Psalm 7, 11 says. It says this. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. My friends, please do not be deceived by the patience of God thinking that he has Uh, abdicated justice and righteousness to the kings of this earth. That is not true. He will avenge the evildoer. That's why we don't have to, because the Lord will. That brings me finally, or not finally, but almost finally, to Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The question is not about the evil in the world. The question is about the evil in here. God, can you change me? God, can you make me a Barzillai, someone who will use what you have given me to bless others? And I think a perfect example of that is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul gets to the end of his life, and his testimony about his life is, I'm the worst of sinners, I'm the least of the apostles, I'm the chief, I'm the, I'm the least of the saints, but I've used all that God gave me to bless others. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, I am being poured out as a drink offering. These are his last words, by the way. I am being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is later for me the crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is what you're called to do in the kingdom of Jesus. Take what God gives you and use it to serve the church, the, 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 the body of Christ, the people who love him. Help your church reach people for Christ. Help your church love people in the name of Christ. This world is filled with evil. 
And I got very little patience for Christians who curse the darkness but never do anything to enhance the light. We, we've got to be active. <laughs> we've got to do something. You know, are you serving in a local church? Are you helping your pastor with the ministry? Are you, are you funding missions and ministry in your community? Don't curse the darkness. Shine the light. Okay, so the final word that I want to just admonish you, admonish you with is this. Right now, the kingdom of our true David experiences wars, pains, conflict, hurts, and inexplicable disasters. But soon, and this is true, the kingdom of peace, the Solomon kingdom, will arrive and every right judgment will be executed. So therefore, do not be deceived by the appeal of this age, my friend. Don't let this age get into your spirit. Don't be, as you see Bathsheba in this text, one day she's with Solomon, the next day she's with Adonijah, easily swayed, right? You've got to be firm in your convictions. Hey, everybody, do me a favor. Like, share, subscribe. Would very much appreciate all that. Support the channel if you would. Help us get this content out. Help us to get more people than ever before. And make sure that you get your questions into 10 Questions with Tim. First Thursday of the month. That is not right around the corner. It's coming up a little bit later. And then the deep end is back next Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. I am so excited about that. I know you are too. But until then, may God bless you as you use what God's given you to serve the kingdom of God that is alive in you. Take care. Have a good night.